Um, welcome to Starman's Podcast. I'm Hello. Anthony. How are we doing? Uh, good. Is that it? <laughs> um, good. Move on. Get it over with. <laughs> I'm ecstatic. No, you aren't. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm tired today. <clears throat> I think this is a really cool topic, and we're going to learn a lot. I and finished my Christmas shopping today. That's what I'm excited about. You went to... Never mind. I'm not going to say it. I don't want to spoil any gift surprises. Um, it's not at Petco, no. How'd you know I was going to ask that? Because <laughs> I said, I got to go to Petco, then I got to go to the gym, and then we can record. Right. But, okay. You know, I have dogs that need food, so sometimes I just go to Petco. Right. And if you buy eight bags, you get one free. <laughs> mm-hmm. Great. Anyway. Mm-hmm. So today we're going to be talking about quantum computing, which is mm-hmm. fascinating. Mm-hmm. It's amazing <laughs> and wonderful. <laughs> we'll see how it goes. Okay. <laughs> do you, What do you mean? What do you know about quantum Nothing. computing? Nothing. Zero. Zilch. Zero. I told you this is going to be third grade level. Actually, I want to make it kindergarten level. I mean, have you even heard of the term quantum computing before? No. Okay. I don't know. Literally no zero. Like shit. So in the podcast, I'm going to be outlining not only like what its implications are for the future, but I'd like to describe sort of how it works because there's this huge like misunderstanding of artificial intelligence using quantum computing for whatever they're using it for machine learning or algorithms sure but people don't really understand like what that means they just hear the term quantum computing and they stop there they're just like cool i don't know what that is they're like that's enough for me i'm done yeah but it's actually not that hard to wrap your head around so i have some third grader level analogies for you and our listeners. <laughs> I will take it. And sorry about the scratching. Rowan keeps walking around. Yeah. We got the doges. They're all just snuggle-buggles. Oopie-boos. <laughs> all right. So let's uh, dive into it. Yay. So first, I'd like to talk about how a modern-day computer computes information. So sure. we can get a better understanding on the fundamentals of how a normal computer works. Sure. At the heart of a computer, a PC lies the central processing unit, or CPU. Mm-hmm. And it supplies all the functions to a PC and how it performs logic. So classic computers store and process information using bits. Have I lost What's you a yet? a bit? bit is a unit of information oh, okay. that can take on two types of values, either zero or one. Oh, it's fucking binary. It's just binary. Okay. So a bit is an electrical pulse that when it's read by a uh, logic gate, it, it knows it's either a zero or one. So the bits of the memory. The, the bits aren't necessarily memory. It's just, it basically, if there's no electrical uh, pulse, it's okay. a zero. And if okay. there is, it's a one. Okay. So as you, if you can imagine, electricity runs at, to no one's surprise, the speed of light. So when you take a short circuit between here and here, like four inches or something, is that four inches? I don't know. You guys you guys measure all the time. You tell me. I don't know. I can't measure 10 inches. So like... <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Let's see. Frame of reference. Let's see. All right. Stop. So it's like half. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. All right. So anyway, 
if you send like 50 tiny electrical pulses really rapidly, you could get that done in microseconds. Sure. Right. So you can send a lot of information in binary over just one wire. Sure. So that's kind of how it works. So classical computers uh, perform calculations by manipulating these bits and using logic gates, which are basic circuits. This is what a logic gate is. Basic circuits that can perform electrical operations like and, or, or not. Have you ever heard of like an and gate, an or gate, (coughs) not gate? Okay. Well, this is like computer science 101. Um, Oh, goody. Well, I'm just saying if you... Am I going to come out with a CS degree? Honestly, you might. (laughs) (laughs) So an AND gate is um, when you take like an electrical signal, like two wires, and you put put a gate in there, and it spreads that electrical signal to two different other places. That's an AND gate because it's that and this. Okay. Okay, so you you turn one electrical signal into two, essentially. Yep, sure. And an OR gate is when the electricity is on, it goes through the gate. It goes this way or this way. Right. Instead of branching. The, the gate is the logic. Yeah. So when, when there's electricity, it's one. When there's none, there's there's electricity on the other. And a not gate is when you supply electricity to the gate, there is no electricity past the gate. So, okay. And so you can sort of reverse it. So when you, if you could combine all, the, all these things logically, right, that means you can, with one electrical pulse, send binary data logically across like a central processing unit and do things like uh, calculate numbers together. Sure. You know, if you wanted to add two plus one, uh, you could write in electricity um, something that will logically carry that process out. I'm kind of with you. Okay, keep going. So at, at the heart, <laughs> the, the heartbeat of the CPU is an electrical pulse that continually pulses back and forth, turning on and off. Sure. So think of it like a human heart. It's... I mean, obviously your heart doesn't turn on on and off. That would be a big problem. But <laughs> but you get the idea. It's that That's what dictates how fast everything goes. On one side of the processor, it gets hit at a logic gate and carries out information. On the other side, it gets... Those are the sort of inductions of, of the central processing unit, is okay. that, that heartbeat. And it's called the clock, naturally. Mm-hmm. So the faster the clock speed, the faster your CPU can operate um that's why sometimes you hear the term in gaming which i fucking hate because most people that use this term have no idea what it means but it's called overclocking and so by today's standards cpus can operate at billions of times per second in mm-hmm. other words gigahertz uh, surrounded by the clock are thousands of microprocessing units and wires that create logic gates and perform tasks required by the cpu to operate and it's important to note that it performs everything in binary, right? Either yes. either in an on or off state, nothing else. Sure. So depending upon the type of framework your CPU is, is dependent on how you're able to understand the types of applications that are calling for the information of the CPU. Meaning there's like ARM processors or x64, x86 processors. Um, and these types of processors are well known and well documented. So when you write an application in code, you can actually talk to the CPU mm-hmm. and, and ask it to do things for you. That's why, like, in Python, when you print something to the terminal, it it gets carried down all the way to the CPU. The CPU reads that data and sends information back up. Mm-hmm. Um, but it all gets translated to binary. So let's say that, just so you can kind of get a visual of it, let's say that a CPU only has four different states to work from. You have, so the states are two binary numbers, either 0, 0, 
which we'll call A, 0, 1, which we'll call B, 1, 0, which we'll call C, and 1, 1. So you have four states of binary, right? So you could either have an electrical pulse that supplies a NOT gate, and that's A, or you could give it just one on one side, that's B, or the other side, that's C, or both at the same time, that's D. There's no other states possible in that mm -hmm. framework, right? Okay. Obviously, CPUs have way larger binary frameworks, and they're in the millions, but just to keep it simple, you only have four in this example. Modern CPUs are a lot faster than this example, but we'll take our states and name them. And our application, we'll say, is the game Pong. Okay. Are you with Pong? Yeah, of course. Uh, the game with the ball that moves back and forth. And for the input of the movement of the paddle in our application, we'll assign, let's say, A as a hit, and B as a goal, and C to move the paddle up, and D to move the paddle down. Sure. Obviously, you need more logic than that, but just keeping it simple. So when we press the up arrow key on our keyboard, the PC takes in that electrical signal, the application, in this example, the code base of Pong, it tells the CPU with its code, and then the CPU carries out that operation with its state, A, and it returns that math back to the application so the application knows what to do with it. Mm -hmm. So you basically, basically what I've done is highlighted exactly how an application works and talks to a CPU, sends information to it, the CPU sends information back, and a game can be played, right? Sure, yeah. So that's how that's how personal computers work. I mean, obviously on a much larger scale and you right, can do much more, more intricate things. Yep. Um, so as you can see with a modern CPU, it'd be pretty practical to create a 2D game of Pong. It's got everything we really need to accomplish it. Now, great developers can write better code and use math and shortcuts to accomplish greater feats. For mm -hmm. example, in 1986, William Cahan and K.C. Nuge at uh, Berkeley wrote an unpublished paper describing how to calculate the square root using bit manipulation techniques. So essentially, they didn't have enough uh, CPU power to, to work with. Mm -hmm. And so what they did was they created a, math, a mathematical bit manipulation mm -hmm. that gave them more leeway. So this is actually really fascinating. Um, so in the late 1980s, Cleve Moeller at Ardent Computers learned about this technique and he passed that information on to his coworker Greg Walsh. Greg, Wal Greg Walsh devised uh, the now famous constant and fast inverse square root algorithm, which was founded in or found in the code base of a game called Doom. Do you remember Doom? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's actually a it's ground. Come a long way. Yeah. It, I mean, that was 1999 that that game was. Wasn't that on like Atari? Yeah, I think it was. And then now it's like progressed into like. <laughs> I mean, full it's still. Yeah, it animation. still holds up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this was, and still today, an extremely perplexing algorithm that demonstrates some of the most intellectual and groundbreaking techniques in modern-day computing. And yes, I mean modern, as in still 2022. 2022. Um, and it's actually still used in 3D shaders today, because mm -hmm. nobody has come up with a better and faster square root algorithm than this. Oh, okay. So, like, games today are still written with this function, that was created in 1999 mm -hmm. because it's so efficient right. at doing what it does. Why not? <clears throat> no, so the, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, exactly. So the reason it's so groundbreaking is because it approximates the output of an inverse square root calculation by shifting the binary bits at the CPU's level, creating a shortcut around the math, but comes up with an answer almost perfectly identical but not exact to the actual calculation of an inverse square root. But why? Inverse square root 
uh, inverse square roots are used to calculate three-dimensional effects. If you wrote a program like Pong and wanted to make it three-dimensional, then you would need more bits than what I provided in the example, right? We don't have enough to make it three-dimensional. You only have enough to make it 2D. So you can think of this as a way to get around by utilizing the bits that we have our, at, our disposal, uh, at our disposal and making them operate in faster in different ways. So a good example of this would be um, if we go back to those bits that I gave you earlier, A, B, C, and D, mm -hmm. you only have four options, so you're, you only have four states. But let's say that because of this in fast inverse square root, you had a state that was like A and B combined and mm -hmm. B and C combined and C and D combined and A and D combined. And now all of a sudden you have all these other states that you didn't think were possible. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you can chain them. Yeah, and um, I'm going to link the code in our Instagram because it's, it's a, a, a very famous um, very famous code to look at. And B, um, if you're like a beginner programmer, this is a really fun thing to look at. And C, it's actually really funny. Um, even if you know nothing about code, I kind of wanted to walk you through it, Kristen, because it's, oh, it's just funny. I'm only going to go through the comments. So basically, you have the square root function here. And then you have some math that gets that gets it all prepped. And then the these little slashes are comments on the code. So it doesn't actually execute the comments. It's just for the programmer to look at. Mm -hmm. And so this is what they found in Doom. Like 10 years later, a developer was like, I want to see how Doom was written with this fast 3D in 1999. Mm -hmm. And this is what they found. So you have on like line six, I um, is the percentage long percentage and Y, which is like, what the fuck is that? And the comment is evil floating point bit hack. And then on the next line, you have a hexadecimal value minusing I greater than one. And the comment on it is what the fuck? <laughs> because the guy that wrote it didn't explain how he did it. He just wrote it and someone came in later and, was like, and uh... added this and was like, what the fuck is that? And then uh, first iteration, second iteration can be removed. So basically this is commented out. You could either use that or use that depending on how you write your game. And that's it. It's only like eight lines of code. So it seems like this really like crazy, like you would think it's like this long code base of like thousands of lines of code with a crazy algorithm. But no, it's just like some weird hexadecimal value with a comment. What the fuck? Hmm. So that's everything you need to know about personal computers. They work in binary zeros and ones, and in order to get around it, you can create weird bit manipulation shifts, but it's not very common. Mm -hmm. And I, I guarantee you no programmer coming out of college is gonna do anything with bit manipulation, really, like in the real world. So anyway, um, quantum computers, on the other hand, they use quantum bits or qubits to store and process information. So qubits are units of information that can exist in multiple states at the same time. Oh, fuck me. <laughs> this is where it gets quantum. Quantumception. A property of, no, uh, of something known as superposition. Okay, this allows quantum computers to perform certain calculations much faster than classical computers. Sure. A qubit is a two-state quantum system, similar to a classical bit, but can take on the values... Uh, uh, sorry, which classical bit, which can take on the values of zero or one. So that's a classical bit. Mm -hmm. However, unlike a classical bit, a qubit can exist in multiple states simultaneously. 
So it could be zero one 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 zero 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 one one. Basically, yeah. So it's yeah, funny because every fuck. it's funny because everyone talks about quantum mechanics like it's mm-hmm. theory only. This is something we're actually doing. We have the ability to harness quantum power, mm-hmm. and we're using it in computers. It's okay. fucking amazing. So anyway, the states of a qubit can be represented using a complex-valued vector in a two-dimensional complex Hilbert space. <laughs> so I'm going to let you look that up if you want. No. But it had some of the fucking craziest math I've ever seen. I couldn't even like begin to start it. So basically all you need to know is that the two basis, uh, the two basis vectors of the space correspond to the classical state 0 and 1, the state of a qubit can be written as a linear combination of these basis vectors with complex coefficients representing the amplitudes of the qubit state. So if you think about it like this, you have zero or one. Let's say that you have an electron spinning. Sure. Okay, and we'll say that when it spins from its north to south axis, um, it's, it's going to be a zero. And when it spins in the other direction, it's a one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Now, what quantum computing can do is if you duplicate those that electron, so you have two electrons, mm-hmm. and you have one spinning one way and mm-hmm. the other spinning another way, that's what they're talking about. You have mm-hmm. both at the same time. So it's not it's hard to wrap your head around because it's not something that is quantifiable on its own. It's like it's doing two things at once but only with one electron because quantum shit is weird as fuck as you know mm-hmm. when you send a single electron through the single slit it acts like a wave even mm-hmm. though it's a particle it's like what the fuck is that all about so we're harnessing that power knowing that an electron has this sort of like other ephemeral bit and and using that in quantum computing so right right um Quantum computers also use quantum gates, so much like logic gates, but they're Mm -hmm. quantum gates, which are similar to uh, classical logic gates, but can operate on qubit superposition. Uh, Quantum computers can perform operations on all the qubits in a quantum computer simultaneously, a process known as quantum parallelism. No, thank you. (laughs) Because that's literally like dropping dimensions like into the fucking multiverse. Right. No, thanks. Yeah, you remember when we did that time episode and I had to like... Describe it 700 different ways because it's our brains only work in two dimensions oh, or you mean three logic? dimensions. Yeah. Yeah. This is sort of where I fell with quantum computing, like studying it. I was like, okay, my brain is having a really hard time understanding what this means. So if, if you're a little lost, just, just enjoy the ride. So there are many, I want to talk about the potential applications for it now. We're, we're done talking about the math. So I say that now, can, but I'm going to circle back to can, it. Can, like, civilian general people use these? Or is this, like, such, like, expensive new technology that it's, like, yeah, we're for, actually, like, the highest class people only? Yeah, we're going to go into that. I, I answer that exact same question, like, towards the end. Um, but let's talk about the applications first. So there are many potential applications for quantum computers, including searching large databases, mm-hmm. op- optimizing complex systems. Can you use this on the Library of Babel? I think I talk about that, too. Oh, my fucking... <laughs> okay. Yeah, so, anyway. Um, and s- <laughs> your questions are good, because <laughs> exactly, it's exactly where my brain went. Um, and simulating quantum systems. However, quantum computers 
are still in early stages of development and are not yet widely available to the public. Okay. Because, so anyway. It makes sense, though. It's it's expensive new technology, yeah. you know? So exactly. why would we just drop this in civilian hands when... <clears throat> yeah. We're also going to talk know. about how they're... It's probably not perfected either. They're not, and they're also... Um, how they're built, which we're going to talk about a little bit, is... You'll, you'll understand why you can't just uh, you can't just have one. So researchers have already demonstrated a number of interesting applications for quantum computers, including quantum simulation, which is used to simulate quantum systems, which could be useful for studying complex chemical reactions, Ooh. material design, and other phenomena that are difficult to study using classical computing. Researchers have used quantum computers to simulate the behavior of molecules which could be useful for developing new drugs and materials in the medical field. Mm, or drop it into CERN. Right. I mean, imagine imagine <laughs> like the metaverse, except not the metaverse, because the metaverse is shitty. Um, but like imagine the quantum computer creates an environment, like a virtual re reality environment, mm -hmm. where you can mix chemical compositions together without the risk of getting hurt or injured by them. Right. You wouldn't need a hood. You wouldn't need... A mask. Right. You could just do whatever the or fuck you wanted in there. Right. And it would simulate it to real world reactions. Okay. C classical computers can't do that. It's too complex. There's too many variables that can happen. Right. But a quantum computer, no problem. Another application is optimization. So quantum computers could be used to solve optimization problems, which involve mm. finding the best solution of a set of possible solutions. Hence optimization. Right. Um, Fun fact, and I want to pause here, uh, well, not pause the episode, but pause my brain for a second from reading this. Did you know that we... No. I can tell you right now. <laughs> 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 On this episode, no, I don't know. You anything. might, you might. Okay, um, fine, Japanese, er, J Japan's um, subway system is actually designed from bacteria. Nope, did not know that. So they took like a Petri dish, and they have this bacteria that... Um, if it has obstacles in the way, it finds the, like, shortest path. Right. Like, biology can do that, which is really fucking crazy to think about. How how does it know? Because it has a sense of, it has a thing. It has innate shit, innate intelligence. Right. But it's just so it's fascinating. Just like, have you ever done the university challenge, the campus challenge? No. Where you, you know... They, you know, so you go to a university, they tend to pave sidewalks and squares around buildings, around stuff. Say you have a quad or whatever, a big grassy area, mm -hmm. and the buildings are, like, set up in a certain way, not perfectly spaced apart. It's theorized that instead of paving in a square, you wait one year and the students will pack down the, the paths. Oh, yes, yes. The most direct paths, <laughs> and then you go in and create sidewalks on those paths. Yes. UMaine is a great example. They didn't do it, but they're attempted to do it as a research project because mm -hmm. um, there's diagonals all across the quad, and no <laughs> one ever uses the perfect square because everyone right. just walks on the grass. Yeah, I think there's a university in Ohio that does that. Yeah. Um, and it's crazy because it's like this big field, and there's just these roads that are like... Zigzag. It's like there's no rhyme or reason, but... That, that was what people were walking on, right, so but now that's the people walk well, on that. Look at the building across there. I'm not going to walk straight ahead, take a right, you know, through the quad. I'm going to fucking right. walk diagonal because I'm a lazy piece of shit. Yeah, and it looks so, so cool because it's, like, just nature. Yeah. But, yeah. So that's, yeah, that's what reminds me of it. 
Yeah, same same idea. And quantum computing can be used for something like that, where you give it a set of really complex instructions, and it's like, oh yeah, that's the best way to do it. Right. You know, optimizes it. Um, it's but also I'm not good surprised for Japan did that at all. Zero surprises. Right. Yeah, I think so. Like the researcher put like a simulated uh, city in mm -hmm. like a big petri dish, and then just dropped like these bacteria, like uh, what do you call them, samples, mm -hmm. and just let it sit, and it was like. From here to here, it was like that was the shortest path, like through the city. Yeah. And then they just like that's what they built for the subways. I was like, what the fuck? That's so cool. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, it could be used for applications such as logistics too, and finance and machine learning optimization. And speaking of machine learning, it could also be used for that. So it has the potential to be used for machine learning tasks such as pattern recognition and classification of items. Sure. Because classical computers right now need training data to accomplish something. So if you're like pointed a camera and took a picture at a microphone, how do you tell an application that's a microphone? What you do is you send the uh, algorithm seven million pictures of microphones, and it starts to recognize patterns of sure. it. Okay, most microphones have this type of shape, and, and then it, it These learns. These colors, yeah. Right, so, uh, so quantum computing could be used to accelerate that, because machine learning, that's its biggest hurdle, is like training data. So cryptography, this is actually a part of the part of what I do for my job um, in a weird way. So it could potentially be used to break some of the encryption algorithms that are currently used to secure communication, such as like TCP IP and networking or uh, SSH, whatever. Um, however, researchers are also working on developing new quantum resistant encryption algorithms that could be used to secure communications against quantum attacks. So we're actually, we have the hindsight now where the scientists and government are the only people that own quantum computers. And like before we give this to the general public, let's fix our encryption standards because SHA-256, which is a encryption standard that is so hardened now, a regular computer couldn't crack it in a lifetime. If I wrote a program to try to crack SHA-256, um, it would take my laptop like 800 years. So if we use that type of encryption to encrypt your tra your network traffic right so let's say you're a finance person and you're mm -hmm. sending credit cards across the network sure and but you encrypt it with sha-256 now you know that i'm not going to be able to hack you right at least in 800 years which is fine um that must be expensive to use then what utilize that system oh I'm yeah sure you can't just hand that to anybody right so what we're doing is we're asking quantum computers to create an algorithm that hard it's so hardened that even quantum computers can't break it. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty cool. Um, and I wanted to talk a little bit about the Enigma machine. Do you know what that is? No, but it actually sounds familiar. It's actually super old. So it's a cipher device developed and used in the early to mid 20th century to protect commercial, diplomatic, and military communication. So it's this big box. It's like a wooden box. And it was... Ex extensively used by Nazi Germany during World War II mm. and uh, in all branches of German military. Um, and uh, this thing looks pretty sweet. So the Amer America got their hands on this thing. You can actually buy them today, too, like online, and mm. it works. It's actually a pretty well-known algorithm now, but back then it was, like, perplexing. So imagine, like, a um, typewriter, except when you press a letter... And this has a bunch, there's a ton of electronics behind here that you don't see. Oh, it encrypts it into something else. It's a secret language, right? Right. But yeah. it's not, it's not only, like, you don't hit A and it always gives you an S, so you can do, like, a one-for-one -one encryption. Mm -hmm. When you hit A and then you hit another letter, 
it it puts it through this crazy algorithm mm-hmm. and hashes it, creates a cipher, mm-hmm. and then gives you like a string of letters and numbers up here. So how do you decrypt it? Yes, that was I was going to say. Need, I don't know if that was the right or, term. In order to decrypt it, you need another Enigma machine with the same circuits. So why in America or some other thing? Oh, it has to be the exact same circuits. Correct. So let's say so that you'd be guessing. Yeah, let's say that Nazi Germany has the model one. Sure. Enigma machine. If you have a model to an Enigma machine, you're not going to be able to decrypt it, right? So they very strategically put these out in the field. Okay, so this deploy, you know, this guy has sent an Enigma machine. You get this encrypted message, and then you get like a hash at the top that tells you what machine to use. Sure. And that's how you decrypt it. So it's really cool. I mean, I mean, it's not cool that Nazi Germany had their hands on it, but it's really cool that that was discovered. And right. And so that's I'm surprised the type of people encryption. didn't. Ca- Maybe they did catch on to it eventually. And let's say we're America, and we, you know, infiltrate a bunker, and we hold the Nazi Germany hostage, and we're like, "What is this? It's a, you know, it's an encryption machine. Obviously, when right. you press the numbers, and you get different letters." And then maybe they have some communication. That's, I mean, it's pretty obvious to know that it encrypts messages, but how it works is really fascinating. There's right. actually a lot of videos and research online of how it how it works. The logic gates behind it are incredible, like very well designed. Um, so I'd recommend looking into that. Maybe I'll post a picture of the Enigma machine for this episode as well on our Instagram, which you should check out. At Starman's Podcast. <clears throat> Starman's Podcast. Um, so yeah, that's enough about the Enigma machine. So overall, while quantum computers have the potential to perform certain tasks much faster than classical computers, they're actually still in early stages of development Mm -hmm. even today, and not yet widely available. Mm -hmm. It will likely be a long time before we see widespread adoption of quantum computers for practical applications. Like just the general public. Right. Right now, it's like in CERN, and like maybe NASA has one. Right. That's about it. So quantum computers can generate a significant amount of heat during operation due to the power consumption of the electronics and cryogenic systems used to control the quantum state of the qubits. So in order to create quantum mechanics... Do they use, like, a nitrogen pump? Oh, yeah. They, yeah. It's like, that's a lot of fucking heat, then, to have like to use... It's, like, a lot of power. That's what they use for, like, reactors and stuff yeah, to well, cool them down. Well, now, with the adoption of nuclear fusion... We could harness the power of quantum computers. Which is fucking wild. We actually, better do an episode on that. Actually, yeah, we should. It's um, insane. Yeah. I just I just thought of that, that we could use that type of power for quantum, quantum computers. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, so to, to keep quantum computers cool, they're often cooled using cryogenic systems yeah. that, are, that uses liquid helium or nitrogen to cool the electronics and qubits to extremely low temperatures. This is necessary because the qubits use, used in quantum computers are typically made from superconducting materials, which only behave as qubits in like extremely low temperatures, mm-hmm. which is actually a pretty well-known thing. Superconductivity is a set of physical properties observed in certain materials where electrical resistance vanishes and magnetic flux fields are expelled from the material. You might have seen this if you looked at those um, maglev tracks. Have you ever seen those? Where it's like they take like a piece of material, cool it, super cool it, and they put it on a magnet track and it like flies around it. Mm-mm. You haven't seen those? I'll no. show you a video of it. I'll, I'll probably, that'll be my third post on Instagram. Sure. Um, those are really cool, but that's quantum mechanics at play. Sure. So the, the cryogenic cooling systems used to cool quantum computers can be quite complex 
and they also require a lot of infrastructure, like huge infrastructure. If you look at a computer of uh, a picture of a quantum computer, they're nothing like what you think they are. I mean, this is a this is a quantum computer. It's basically it just looks like a pretty tower. Yeah, it's like this crazy tower that's that works from top down. Tower of like that's copper and gold and apparently Google has one. Great. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Um, yeah, so it's like this tower, circular tower, ton of stuff going on, lots of electronics. Layers, circles, lines. Yeah. Grids. <laughs> yep. Vacuum pumps, cryo coolers, refrigeration systems, the whole nine yards. So uh, keeping the quantum computer at the proper temperature is critical in its operation, as even small changes in temperature can cause qubits to lose their quantum properties and stop functioning correctly, which is like the whole point of it. So it's very unlikely that in the next, say, 10 years, you'll have a supercomputer playing video games off it. It's not really made for that. Um... It's only really made for intricate mathematics. That's about it. Sure. So, as as much as you want to get your hopes up, the new the newest VR simulated pong game of oh my 2030 <laughs> is not reality. this is not going to come out on <laughs> a supercomputer. <laughs> that's what we're excited about is virtual right. reality pong. Yeah. So, uh, that's that's about everything you need to know about That's plenty. Thank quantum, you. Quantum computing. Um, Thor, take a chill. Rowan, take a chill. Any questions? <laughs> what? It's pretty cool. Can you apply it to the Library of Babel? Oh, yeah. Um, I thought I wrote it down, but I guess not. So, I mean, in theory, you could, you could, I mean, with classical computers, you can create a shortcut to generate all, every letter combination in the world, right? But a supercomputer could actually probably do it. Probably. Like, actually do it. Because mm-hmm. uh, the way it's achieved now is it's encrypted twice. You use a hashing, you use the hash, you unhash it, and then it generates the text, finds the text that you're looking for, and then shows you the page that it's on. It's reversible, which is really cool, but you're not actually getting... You had some skepticalness skepticism around the Library of Babel at first because you're like, but it's not really there. You're kind of searching for it. Yeah, no one's ever pulled out a real picture yet. Also that. So, what the fuck? You think of the odds by now. But imagine... Or a picture of a dinosaur. Imagine that the... Imagine that a quantum computer could find a picture in that. Right. Because it has Find enough, the code. It has the power to do that. It has the power. It has the power. It's got the juice. It's got the juice. <laughs> Literally, it's got the juice. <laughs> that would be sick. So, yeah, there you go. Um, quantum computers are probably going to be used for pretty amazing things. Um, I had a really good application for it. You know how we were talking about uh, taking pictures of distant stars for rogue planets? Or not rogue planets, but uh, uh, ha- potentially habitable planets? Mm-hmm. And, like, layering those pictures on top of each other and finding, like... The, the wobble. The wobble? Yeah. Uh, if you were able to get data and just send it to a quantum computer to look for... Um, the wobble? If we, if we gave it enough data and said, like, here's some wobbles that we've confirmed our planets, and it you gave it data from, like, the entire Andromeda galaxy, it could probably be like, 
boom, here's all the planets in the Andromeda galaxy and their locations. Yeah. Could you imagine that? No. And we're just like, oh, shit. And then we point a telescope at it, and we're like, look at that. There's a wobble. There's a planet there. Point the James Webb. And there's, then there's and then, a rogue planet. There's there's planet X. Planet fucking X. We can find planet, planet X. <laughs> we can't. I mean, even with the supercomputer, you're excited. Be able to I'm find. right now. Although fuck Library of Babel, I want to find planet X. Although oh god, you could. You might be able to find the exact location that it should be if you gave it enough data. We don't have much data on it. That's uh, the problem. Yeah. We only have its interaction, potential with, interactions on other planets. With your, your, Uranus. <laughs> it's potential interactions on Uranus. Uranus. Right. And that's very little information. Mm-hmm. The rest is theoretical. What is, is that enough, this? Though? Oh, it's a poster. I was like, is this a $44 quantum computer? No. I'm buying that right now. Nope. Yeah. So the FBI comes knocking on your door. I know. I get it delivered. Like, what are you using this for? To find planet X? Duh. <laughs> like, is the moon a, a superstructure? <laughs> you're like, you're like he knows about planet X. We have to capture him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Okay. Yeah, so uh, if uh, you guys have any suggestions for other future topics or anything you want us to talk about, hit us up at our Gmail. Starman's Podcast at gmail.com. Do, 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 do. And uh, hit us up at starmans.live. Or follow us on Instagram. Which you can find if you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or iHeartRadio. Not sure why you're on iHeartRadio. You should probably be using something else, but here you are. Um, Don't be judgy. What? iHeartRadio? Grandmas. It's for grandmas. Or grandpas. Sorry, grandma or grandpa. Watch this, like, 20-year-old is like, fuck you. (laughs) I know. And a 20-year-old like, what the fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck? Um, you can find the link to Starmans.live in the description of this podcast. If you just click the little description, show more, you'll find it right there. Click on that little bad boy and buy yourself some merch for Christmas. Buy yourself some merch. It's, <laughs> it's almost time. You have less than a week. You have less than a week it by the time this lands. definitely not deliver in time no, for Christmas. No, you'll be but... SOL, but maybe a late Xmas little cuckoo. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, Why definitely. not? All right. Yeah. Well, uh, you want to tease your next um, thingy-majiggy? I'm going to do another natural disaster episode. And it's going to be another earthquake, but with a different outcome that's not a volcano. Bum, bum, bum. Sure. I'll <laughs> drop back into 2011. That's all you get. All right. Cool. Looking forward to it. The high school era. Damn, I'm old. I'm old, too. That's when I graduated. Same. Shit. All right. We'll see you guys in the next one. Bye. Bye.